As you are well aware, we are in the process of deciding who will be the President of the United States for the next four years. Mail-in voting has already begun and the first debate is behind us. The question before us is quite simply, who is best qualified to lead our nation? The answer, however, is not so simple. How do you evaluate a man's qualifications for the highest office in the world? What do you look for? What criteria do you use? How do you even know if what you read or hear about him is true? Do you focus on his record and accomplishments or his plans for the future? And of course, your evaluation of his accomplishments and the platform he promotes depends on your view of the way things ought to be and what's important. Then there are questions of personal integrity and character. Is he a good person? A man you can trust? One you would like to set as an example before your children? Then again, should we even be concerned about such? After all, we're not choosing someone to serve as a pastor, a spiritual leader, but our president. As we look over the history of our nation, we find that we have had some very good presidents and some who were not so good. And some who made good decisions on behalf of the nation had personal lives that were horribly stained by moral weaknesses and failures. That, however, is not a uniquely American characteristic. All men are flawed. And even the nation of Israel had good kings and bad kings. So how do we know? Who to vote for? Since 1956, our nation's official motto has been, in God we trust. We do trust that God is in control of our political process. The Apostle Paul assured us, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And Daniel declared, it is he, God, who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. But still, while acknowledging that God is ultimately in control, we have been given the opportunity to have a say in who our next president will be. And we take our privileges and responsibilities as Americans seriously. So we pray for wisdom and for God's will to prevail in our next election. In our text for today, however, Paul sets before us not the need to evaluate those who would be our political leaders, but those who would be our spiritual leaders. And in some respects, who leads in our church is even more important than who leads 
our country. But how do you judge a spiritual leader? How do you evaluate a man's ministry? Jesus warned us to be aware of wolves in sheep's clothing. So not everyone who claims to be a shepherd should be trusted as such. But how do you identify a wolf? How do you know who to trust as a shepherd? How do you know who to trust with your spiritual development and education? Beyond that, how do you judge a church? What do you look for in a church, and how do you know they are doing what God wants done? These are hard questions, but very important ones to ask, and ones to which you'll hear many differing answers today, because there are many different ways of measuring success in the ministry or the effectiveness of a church. The world has ways of measuring success, and many times those criteria are used to measure the success of a ministry. But are they really valid? Last week, we heard the Apostle Paul declare that he wasn't, like many, a peddler of the Word of God. So obviously, he shouldn't be judged as a salesman. He shouldn't be judged on the basis of sales, of converts, or on successful advertising and promotional campaigns, or the size of his business. So how should he be evaluated? He said he ministered from sincerity, from honest commitment to Jesus as Lord of his life, and from a sense of God's call. The ministry wasn't for him an occupation he had chosen. God had chosen him for the ministry. His stated goal as a minister was the same one he had as a Christian, simply letting Jesus live his life through him. So all he did was done openly in the sight of God. He didn't try to hide anything. He lived transparently before God and man. Those characteristics could distinguish him from the religious peddlers of his day. Or so he claimed. But how could his claims be verified? Some in Corinth were apparently challenging his ministry. So they no doubt looked upon his claims with skepticism. He claimed not to be an insincere peddler of the gospel. But how could that claim be validated? Well, Paul moves to answer that unspoken challenge in our text for today. And he does so by pointing to a letter of commendation that could be read by all men. We're in 2 Corinthians, beginning chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Paul said he did not need to commend himself. 
to write up a religious resume to convince anyone of his genuineness. Nor did he have to obtain letters of commendation from the other apostles for the Corinthians or letters from them for others. No, he said they were his letter of commendation. The Corinthians themselves were the proof of his ministry. Their life, their behavior verified Paul's authenticity. What they had become as a result of his ministry among them was all the commendation he needed. And that combination was not just for the sake of others, it was for him as well. They were a letter written in his heart, a letter from which he received much personal satisfaction. He, like everyone else, evaluated his work by what he saw happening in the lives of those among whom he worked. They were letters everyone could read. And as such, they were a living testimony to the Apostle Paul. If someone wanted to know if his work was for real or not, all they had to do was look at Paul's converts. How did they live? How had they changed? What kind of people had they become? You know, just as we evaluate the effectiveness of parents by their children, so Paul indicated we can evaluate the effectiveness of a minister or any Christian, for that matter, by the lives of those he affects. If you want to make your preacher look bad, there's no need to compare him to successful preachers or to evaluate his ministry by secular metrics of success. Just live like an unredeemed pagan. You are my letter of commendation. But you're more than just my letter. You're more than the affirmation of my ministry or even the affirmation of the church's ministry. You are a letter of Christ cared for by the church, verses 3 and 4. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And such confidence we have through Christ, toward God. You are a letter of Christ. If you bear the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you are a letter of Christ. A letter not written with ink or on tablets of stone, but a letter written on your heart by the Spirit of the living God. And you are a letter that everyone should be able to read. When someone is around us, they should sense the presence of Jesus Christ. He's in our heart, 
and his signature should be evident in our lives. Now, that's not easy to assure. It's not easy to make Jesus seen in our life, even though we have invited him into our hearts, because there's a lot of me that can get in the way. That's where the church and pastors come in. Now, pastor is not a bad word, merely a misused one. Most churches use it to designate the preacher. He's the pastor, the shepherd of the flock. But the term pastor wasn't used in such an exclusive way in the Bible. Anyone who shepherds another is a pastor, and that's what the word pastor means, shepherd. Elders are pastors. Sunday school teachers are pastors. We've seen that demonstrated this morning. Youth sponsors are pastors. If you take someone under your wing and try to nurture them in the faith, you are a pastor. That's what Paul was talking about when he said the Corinthians were letters of Christ cared for by him and his associates. And indeed, everyone in the church should be involved in pastoring, caring for one another. We should all be involved in helping each other be seen as letters of Christ. And that's how you judge the effectiveness of a church. It's not by its size or its budget or its programs and activities. It's by the quality of the lives of its people. Can Jesus be seen in the lives of its people? That is what you look for. Does whatever they do result in Christ-like people? That is the real test. That's how our ministry should be evaluated. That's what others should look for when examining Chatham Christian Church. Now, that's quite a bill to fill. And yet Paul could say, and such confidence we have through Christ toward God. We can do it. We can effectively care for those letters of Christ in one another's heart. And we do so by recognizing the source of our adequacy and the nature of our ministry. It's not something we do by ourselves, but something done by the Spirit through us. The letters are written by the Spirit, and we are merely servants of the Spirit. Verses 5 and 6. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In verse 5, Paul spells out the most important principle a Christian 
can ever learn. And one that many, sad to say, never learn. We are not adequate to do God's work on our own power. We are not adequate, no matter how brilliant or well-trained or dedicated or highly motivated, to do his work. Only God can do his work. But he wants to do it through us. He wants us to be channels through whom he can work. And if we'll get out of the way and let him work through us, he can do it. He can make us adequate for the work he gives us to do because it will be him doing the work through us. Through him, we can care for one another adequately. And we can help one another manifest the nature of Christ. We can effectively bring people to the place where Christ is seen in all they do. We don't do it by demanding they live up to a code or creed or standard we set for them. We don't do it by resurrecting the old covenant based on trying to achieve the unachievable. We don't do it by constantly writing people about their need for more commitment or dedication or by listing for them what they must do to be a Jesus lookalike. No, we are not ministers of the old letter of the law. We are ministers of the Spirit. We merely introduce people to Christ and then help them follow the leading of his spirit in their life. We encourage them to be open and responsive to opportunities he gives and to pray for the wisdom to discern his will when situations arise. We point them to the scriptures and help them understand his revealed will. We teach them to depend on him, to give him the strength they need to do his will, and assure them of his forgiveness when they fail. We do confront each other when it appears that the flesh is beginning to dominate the spirit, but we don't bind people with religious obligations and expectations. We're not out to make good church members, people who blindly support the program of the church. We are out to share Christ and let him write his message of love on hearts and to help each other demonstrate that love. That is the ministry of the new covenant. That is a ministry that is alive with the Spirit. If you're looking for a church home, Christians with whom to associate and with whom to identify, check out the believers who worship here. Examine their life. Look for Jesus in all they do. If you can see him there, you found a church that's doing what it's supposed to be doing. You have found a spirit-led church 
that strives to live daily in the presence of Jesus as letters of Christ that can be read by all men. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we are indeed letters of Christ that can be read. We pray as a church. We're a body that enables each other to live fully in the presence of your spirit and empowered by your spirit. Give us wisdom to know how to minister effectively. Let us know how to get out of the way of your spirit. Let lives be changed by the faithful proclamation of the gospel. I'm so grateful, Lord, for the growth that I've seen, the lives I've seen changed in almost 50 years of ministering here. It is discouraging when you see people fall short, but we all fall short. But it's encouraging when we see someone rise again in faith and begin living a life that honors you and demonstrates the reality of your presence every day, wherever they are. Help us not to think of church as something we do on Sunday. There's a body of believers encouraging one another be letters of Christ in a world that needs to see him. Thank you for the confidence we have in each other. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for blessing us and using us. And we pray you'll continue doing so through Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray.